On this week's episode of Demand Gen U, we're doing another special guest episode leading up to Demand. And we've got Amanda Natividad from Spark Toro on for a pretty amazing topic that I saw on my feed and it has really blown up. We're going to dive into zero click content. If you're wondering what that means, don't worry, we're about to tell you uh, how it blew up, uh, how she's looking at it at Spark Toro, and more importantly, how we all should start looking at it in our own B2B marketing jobs. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So Amanda, I am pumped to have you on Demand Gen U today. Uh, I've been following you from afar and we're going to start with a funny story. Do you remember how we actually met? I'm pretty sure I cold messaged you. You did. You were trying to sell me something and I, I think it was at, it was maybe two jobs ago. I forget where you were ago. at. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't buy, not because I didn't like what you were pitching me, but we just weren't in the market for it. Uh, so it's funny to come full circle, not just here, but we've kind of stayed in touch a little bit and I'm always blown away at what you guys are doing over at Spark Toro. So before we kind of get into the, the meat of it, what, uh, what is Spark Toro for people who aren't familiar? Yeah. So I have yet to home in on a really, truly pithy explanation. So I'm going to just try. <laughs> so we make B2B software to help marketers find their audience's sources of influence. So we do something or we offer something Hold that up. we that call. Was perf- <laughs> that was perfect. So don't was sell it? yourself short. Yeah. All right. Keep going. But like okay. you're selling yourself short. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I, I worry that people are like, what's a source of influence? What does that mean? But it really is like the things that like, what are the social accounts your audience follows? What are the podcasts they listen to? The YouTube channels they subscribe to? And then what are some of the topics or things they generally talk about online? So, yeah. yeah, like I think it's great because it it sparks a, and this is kind of a product marketing podcast, but not really like the it's short, it's to the point, it sparks some interest and then you expand on what source of influence it means. So I don't know if, if you're looking for feedback, I like it. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to get into like audience research and like blah, 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 blah. But I'm still worried that people are like, I don't know what that is. It sounds boring. I don't want to do that. So yeah. <laughs> uh, one funny softball question for you. Uh, yeah. does Rand's hair like always look that good? Does he have bad hair days or what? He had a bad hair day a couple months ago and it was, <laughs> he got a haircut that he didn't like and he was pretty, he was, kind, there. he was kind of bummed about it. Um, it didn't, his hair didn't have the usual like zhuzh to it. <laughs> so I kind of felt for him, but generally, no, he does not have a bad hair. He just looks like that. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. All right. We're out to turn that into a social clip, but, uh, awesome. So uh, I think, uh, I came across it. Uh, I mean, you guys just published the the post what within the last couple last, weeks ish. Yeah. Last week, actually. Um, and when I saw it, I was blown away just because I had been thinking about what you were talking about, but never with that much depth. So for people who haven't read it yet, you know, we'll share the the link uh, in the write-up post episode, but just kind of walk me through the article that blew everybody away because it, it blew up. It did. I, I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised. Of course, whenever you write something, you hope people care about it, but I was very pleasantly surprised by the response that it had. And so we'll just get into it. Um, so the post is about something that, something that I called zero-click content. And so this is basically what 
some of the savviest content creators have already been doing for many years. And it's what a lot of people have been doing on social media over the past couple years, including people like yourself, Mark. Like you are a really good example of zero click content. So what is it? Let's go back to like kind of, I didn't pay her to say that just so we're clear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, like kind of going back to the, uh, a few minutes ago in our conversation, that was how I reached out to you because of your zero click content. So like to kind of expand on that story at the time I was working at an SEO content agency called growth machine. And, you know, I was head of marketing there. So responsible for everything from content to, to growing pipeline. And at the time we were, I believe what we were doing was trying to see if there was appetite for growing our suite of services. I think that's what it was. Um, I, I kind of forgot. And I reached out to you. No, 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 I have a good memory. You were right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> So I reached out to you because I had seen you posting on LinkedIn about B2B marketing, kind of demand generation, and not really about content marketing because I know that's not your world, but things that were very complementary to that. So I thought like, well, okay, Mark could be a client of ours. Like maybe we would be a fit at some point, but I didn't call you. I, it wasn't the point. It was kind of a double barreled approach. Like I didn't, I didn't reach out to you to be like, hey, can I pitch you on our services? Even though that's like the soft implication, it was more of, hey, like you actually are in my target ICP. I were considering expanding our offering. You could be somebody who might benefit from this, but at any rate, I would love to see if it's interesting to you or like even in a, hey, theoretically, I would buy this even if I'm not going to buy today. Um, and you were super nice and you, you did, I was like, can we do a 20 minute conversation? Um, I'll ask you some questions about like, about this offering. And you were like, cool, let's do it. I, I love the way that you <laughs> went about it, to be totally honest, because I think when you frame it like that, like we're marketers, marketing to marketers, like mm-hmm. I get it. If you would have jumped right in and pitch slapped me, I'd be like, eh, no, thank you. <laughs> totally. And then the other thing too, is like when you're selling things like services, like agency services, I, I mean, my opinion is pipeline's pretty unpredictable. Like you just don't know when someone's going to need your services and they either they either very much need you or they do not at all. Like they do not care what you're selling. And I, I, I feel like it's very either or. And I thought like, well, there's a good chance Mark does not care about what I'm selling and that's totally fine. But if I approach him like a normal human being and a fellow marketer, he's probably gonna be receptive to at least like talking and starting a professional relationship. So that's exactly what happened. <laughs> And here we are almost two years later on a podcast, so it's come full circle. It's come full circle, yeah. <laughs> and so we kind of digress, but it kind of comes full circle with the whole zero-click content idea, which is, you know, the platforms today, like Google, all the social media platforms, they essentially ding you for linking out to other things, right? Like Google will always, will try, and they have been doing this, will try to scrape other websites to put on their search engine results pages so that people don't have to leave the search results page. And sometimes that's a good thing or like not good thing, but sometimes it's beneficial to the user where like maybe you're just Googling Paul Rudd's height, right? You don't need an article on that. You don't need to click on something, right? You just kind of want to see, oh, he's five foot 10. Interesting. Now I know. I love, I love him. He's love him. so funny. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Or you want to, you want to Google his age, right? You, again, you don't, but then you might see like, wait, how old is he? How, how old is he? In his 50s, maybe? Um, now I got to look it up. I, you keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah. He's really, what he, was it like the sexiest man alive or whatever I, that he just recently. owned? Like he, yeah. lo- like and it was hilarious how <laughs> well he owned it and leaned into it. Yeah. 
So, okay, you look up, he's 53. You're like, dang, he's 53. I, he looks great. He is like ageless. Maybe then you're going to be like, I got to look up more about Paul Rudd and his like skincare routine. And then you kind of go into like the content you would actually want to theoretically read about. And so what does, I mean, so once these, so when we see that these platforms are rewarding this kind of behavior, the, the behavior that doesn't require a click, what are we as marketers supposed to do, right? And the way I see it is you, you play into it. Like you then then you optimize for creating content that doesn't need to be clicked on. And so I call this zero click content because it is content that offers valuable standalone insights with no need to click. And so clicking would be additive to the experience, but it's not required. And so this works on pretty much any platform. That's why Twitter threads are so popular. It's why LinkedIn posts and carousels are so popular because people are staying on these platforms or scrolling through. Nobody goes to Twitter in hopes of leaving Twitter, right? You don't go there. Like people, people will say like, I'm here for information. That's why I'm on Twitter. Like I am literally on Twitter to be there, not to be taken to your site. Totally. And people, people want information or they want information, entertainment, whatever it is, the, the value that they have decided, right? But that's what they want. It doesn't mean that they want to click out to leave the platform that they're on. I love that. So before we get into the details of all of this, I got to ask, when you hit publish on this thing, were you like, all right, this is going to land? Because I always wonder. Um, yeah, I, I, I felt pretty good about it. And it's, yeah. it's okay to say yes. Cause <laughs> yeah. I have, the, I have times where I'm like, you know what, this is good. And then you publish it and it is. And yeah. there's also times where I'm like, you know what, this is good. And it doesn't perform. Yeah, well. totally. I, this felt good. And I think it was because I had been percolating on this idea for months, like since the beginning of this year, maybe, but it hadn't really fleshed it out into a post until more recently. And as we were getting towards the finish line, like I had Rand, my boss review it and it, was, it did sort of get to this point where I was like, I'm now I'm nervous. Like, I really want this to be perfect. And I don't know if it's going to land. Like, help. <laughs> Amazing. So and I've got the post up right now. Uh, we were, uh, Dave Gerhardt, we work with him. And I uh, kind of humbly bragged that I was bringing you on to DGU uh, about this specific topic. And he was super pumped uh, about this. So uh, one of the things that he had mentioned when we were talking about it was the, uh, the, that webinar promotion email that you have in the post. So why don't you kind of share a little bit more about how that came about and the pretty insane results that it drove yeah, to. That's a great question because this will also lead us into some like tactics and frameworks for how to create zero click content. So this started with, um, a little while back, I did a blog post and webinar for something I called audience personas. So this is a different concept that I've, I think I thought I invented it, but I, I Googled it later on. I'm like, oh no, someone else wrote about this. Like, this is that thing. But the way I've defined audience personas is the need for marketers to think beyond just buyer personas, because buyer personas are not the only people within your target audience, your target audience or your audience, your real audience, includes people like reporters, investors, um, peers in the industry, or people who are just interested in the service or software you provide as it relates to the industry, right? They're not, they, they, might not be real, they might not be interested in automation or audience research, but maybe they're really interested in demand generation or content marketing, and so therefore they're in your audience. Um, when you think about your audience as a series of audience personas, 
then you can take a more holistic approach to your content, your PR, demand generation, all that good stuff. So I, this started out with a blog post, but as I was writing this post, I was like sort of ranting about with what's wrong with tr traditional buyer personas, like the weird obsession with like alliterative names, like marketing Martin, right? Like things like that. That's like, that doesn't help anyone do their jobs what, better. Why? So what, the classic marketers, like who came up with that? Because you're so true. Everyone just assumes that it has to have like that as the name. Right. Right. Totally. <laughs> or like, you don't call your friends that. <laughs> no. Classic B2B right. marketing. Sorry. Yeah, keep going. totally. Um, so then as I was writing this out, I, I just was thinking like, wouldn't it be funny if I like made a slide about a ridiculous buyer persona? And so then I just like did a detour <laughs> into like making a fake buyer persona slide, just using my own picture. Um, and like, I used my own name, like marketing Manda. And I just threw in a bunch of non sequiturs, like pickles or relish. Like, what are my fears? Um, and, and none of it made, it was like, it, none of it really made sense, but it was just kind of silly stuff to, to bring home the point. And so I wrote this post, I wrote out how to create audience uh, audience personas, um, how to kind of bucket them, all that good stuff. And then ended with this joke or the punchline of the, of, of that fake buyer persona slide. And, um, that ended up being, and that, that was the punchline, the conclusion of the blog post where, uh, I ended up using that to promote the resulting webinar. And I think, you know, in marketing world, like five years ago, maybe even last year, who knows? I think people would have withheld that punchline in hopes of getting people to click. Like, I think what people would have done five years ago would say they would, they would have said something like, you know, buyer personas are flawed for a number of reasons. Find out what these flaws are and stick around to see this, to see what not to do. And then maybe you would bring in the fake buyer persona slide as like, here it is since you've signed up. But instead I kind of flipped that and said, this is what's wrong with buyer personas. Look at this BS slide. This makes no sense. And then it was, there's a better way to do it. Read our blog post, you know, sign up for our webinar. Um, and it worked really well in that our webinar got over 900 signups. I mean, that's insane for any webinar, but using this tactic, it, it's respect. Like it's, it's awesome. And it's also, I'm looking at the persona right now, the left-hand column, we'll have to link out to this what for the video, the age, ethnicity, education, location. That is so fucking funny. Like it, I'm cracking up right now. It's age, excuse me. No ethnicity. I was born here. Okay. Education, which really got me. My parents are mad. I didn't get my MBA location. How is this relevant? And then some of the other stuff. Cause it's like, it's one, I think people are way too serious on LinkedIn. So when you lead in with something of value and then blend it with humor, I'm already inclined to pay attention to it. And it just sticks totally, out. Totally. Yeah. And I think where this kind of works is it doesn't really put anybody down, right? Like it doesn't, it, it's not attacking any individual, no. any industry really. It's just like, Hey, this thing that we, we have all been doing this thing for years. It doesn't work very well. And here's why. I love it. So for People who are, you know, fascinated by this concept and it's, I say new concept, but you've been at it for a while. And I think others have been at it for a while too. How do you recommend that they start like, you know, using this approach? Cause it's a big jump from what most people are doing on LinkedIn, which is, Hey, sign up for my webinar. Like you just said, I think I saw that post in my feed, no less than 10 times already today. And it, it's probably uncomfortable for, 
for people at first, because again, it's very difficult to measure. Yeah, too. totally. I think I think a lot of marketers are probably averse to this because you can't measure it. Because I mean, you can measure some of it within in terms of likes or comments, um, and that helps, right? Because those things can help boost your impressions. So you could look at that, but that's also really hard to tie to more meaningful marketing metrics like actual money or like you know, um, newsletter list growth or webinar signups. Um, so the way I see it is like, you can use some of these social metrics to track the short-term success. Like if you're posting some solid content that is getting pretty high engagement ongoing, like you have to know you're onto something, right? Um, but then kind of continuing down that path. And then as you continue to like gain these impressions, or, you know, rewarded by the algorithm, so to speak, then you can start to drop in some of your links, like a link to an ebook, a webinar sign up, joining your email list, those kinds of things. Uh, and then over time, you'll be able to see that growth. Um, an easy way, relatively, relative, easy is relative, right? But an easy way to do this is if you were to create like a high engagement Twitter thread, and then later on, add on the link to like, hey, read more in my blog post or my ebook, um, then you'll be able to see like the clicks, right? And what kind of measurable lift there is there. I love it. Now, it's got to make, you know, marketers uncomfortable giving away the punchline. Like what, I guess, does that mean? And, and how can people tap yeah, into that? So giving away the punchline. So in the case of that audience persona slide, it could be, it's, it could be something like that. Like what is your blog post or your content, whatever, maybe it's a video. What does the content ultimately lead up to? Like, what is the, what is the message you want to resonate with people that you want to linger in their minds as they leave? You could lead with that or you could try a couple other things. You could try what works really well with a lot of listicles is even just picking out one of those items in that list and giving out the full standalone thought, like, you know, 10 ways to do, or, you know, like 10 ways not to kill your household plants. I don't know. Um, it's a top of mind for me right now, but maybe you would use the tip of like, uh, I'm just going to make this up. Like maybe it'll be, make sure you, if you have a plant um, by a window, make sure you rotate it every, a couple degrees every now and then so that the leaves get an equal amount of sunlight over time and it grows healthily. Like that would be a very standalone thought, right? Like that's that's one piece of actionable device. You're like, cool, like that's actually really useful. And that's something that wasn't very like, I didn't think that was common sense. And then you as, a, as the reader are going to think, oh, well, what else do they have to say? Like that was a really valuable thought. Versus the traditional, read these 10 ways to not kill your plants, right? You'd be like, ah, leave me alone. Give me, give me a little bit of a taste. So using that, like one standalone um, list item, or you could give out like three to five items in your list and then leave the rest as like, you got to click to learn more. That way you're giving that standalone value. People are, are able to gain value just from scrolling through your feed. And then over time, as you do this, right, then it becomes like, oh, I know Mark. He always posts these amazing plant tips. <laughs> so I was not prepared to tell this story, but you mentioned plants and killing them. So I have to tell it. So I'll call it as quickly as possible. I saw some plant ads on Instagram uh, right around this time last year. And I was like, okay, you know what? 
plants are all the rage right now. Why don't you get this? So I got it. I forget the exact company that it was, uh, but it was probably, I don't know, maybe four feet tall. It was the first real plant that I had ever bought. So I was excited. I'm adult. I'm graduating. I'm getting real plants in my place. And I got it on a Friday afternoon and unboxed it, put it exactly where it needed to be. And I was out of town for a wedding. When I got back Sunday afternoon, the plant went like this and it was completely dead uh, horizontal. So I was like, it hadn't even been, I don't know, 60 hours and the thing was already dead. Like you are not capable of doing this. So I wrote an email back to the company and said, hey, this thing's like 200 bucks. There's no reason that it should be dead after 60 hours. What is wrong here? Well, turns out there was some like outbreak of like, uh, I forget what the exact thing was, but it was not my fault. Uh, so I returned it. And what do you think I did? I bought a fake plant. So if you ever <laughs> see a DGU episode with the plant in the background, I'm outing myself as you a know fake what? plant person. This plant behind <laughs> me is fake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, fake plant the trick people. is to uh, sprinkle in <laughs> real plants, like a couple of real ones and then with your fake ones and then people won't really know. They'll think, wow, you are a talented gardener. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to bring it back, I love what you said there because one of the things that I see is that many pieces of content out there just don't have a punchline. So if you're saying, hey, come check out whatever piece of content this is and it lacks the punchline, well, yeah, it's not good content at the end of the day. So if you are forced to lead with value or lead with that punchline, it really makes you think, okay, why am I publishing this? What is the reason I'm doing this in the first place? What are people going to find helpful? And it kind of forces people to think a little yeah, bit more. I think so too. But back to what you said about like measuring success of this. Um, I'm curious how you think about this because you've been posting on LinkedIn for quite a while now, a couple of years now, at least. Um, I mean, were, mm -hmm. when you started out, were you consciously thinking about how you would track success or were you just sort of like, let's see what happens? Like most things I do in marketing, it's let's see what happens and try it and see if I can get some traction. I think for me, and I've been at it for probably about two years. And I think at first, and people ask about this all the time, both metadata employees and marketers that I talk to, it was like, how do you get started? How do you get started? I have nothing to say. I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. And I still post stuff all the time. I just like start doing it, get yourself out there. It gets easier as you write more and more. I used to spend so much time writing these posts in the beginning and they didn't really do that well. So I think after more reps, it becomes easier. But for me, I was just starting to see, okay, are the topics landing? And when I say landing, it's, you know, some engagement, who are the types of people that are engaging with it, whether it's a comment, whether it's a like, you name it. And is it kind of trending in the right direction? There are times where I think something's going to land well and it doesn't. And there are other times where I think it's not going to land and it ends up landing. So it's, I try not to put too much thought into it. I think the really interesting thing for, for me and for, for Jason Whitup, our VP of marketing is, so we have trackers set up in Gong that pick up on his name, my name, a couple other terms that we use. And I have a rough idea of like the type of people and sometimes specific people who interact with stuff that I'm posting, there are so many people who lurk and do not like and do not comment, yet they mention it on sales calls. And the second that we realize that, then we put even less 
like emphasis on the metrics at the end of the day, because it comes up all the time and it's crazy how many lurkers enjoy it. And that you would never so know. That is so interesting. I think, okay, this is going to sound like a strange leap, but this reminds me of a podcast I was listening to recently. It was Jay Akunzo's Unthinkable podcast. He had someone, uh, a copywriter on recently and her name escapes me at the moment and I will look it up. Um, but the thing she so she's a she's a copywriter whose background is in uh, psychology. Um, so Ooh, she's a great so she's copywriter. A good copywriter then. <laughs> and the, one of the things that really stood out to me was uh, she said how one of the misconceptions of copywriting is that you need to stand out. Everyone thinks you need to pop, stand out, but that's not what you want to do. What you actually want to do is blend in with the narrative in someone else's mind, and. That really stayed with me for quite a while. And that reminds me of what you're saying about like people not people lurking a, a amongst your content, but bringing it up in sales calls later, because it feels to me like they're probably internalizing what you've said. And they've been like, oh, yeah, like I know Mark, like he talks about this stuff all the time. And like that was helpful. And they just think about it. They're like, yeah, like, like in a, in a sense, I mean, it's even like I'm one sided friend. Like I, Mark said that yeah. thing. Like I, I, that resonates with me, and they just keep it in their brains. <laughs> they're, they're like that. That was cool. And then when it comes up more relevantly in their day to day lives, they can be like, oh yeah, you know, Mark from Metadata, he had this whole post about you know marketing attribution, like things like that. I couldn't agree more, and it's. Funny enough, there were a couple of calls that we've had where somebody who requested a demo either thought Jason or I was going to be on the demo with them because they thought we were like friends from following us on LinkedIn. So it is pretty funny when people are lurking and, and you know, it's like the whole reason why we do this is not to influence on LinkedIn. You know, that's, I hate that. It's just to get people from metadata, myself included, out there. So you get to know the people behind the company and you get to feel like, you know, who's building the company not just metadata totally. the company yeah, itself. Yeah, and like people don't really like to follow just brands, right? Like I think people people might root for brands in some on, on some level, right? But like no one's thinking about like, oh, I need to follow Sparktoro or metadata for the or for the latest things. It's like they think about they might think about us, like you and me, but yeah. Mhm. Mm I dig it. So, I've got an interesting question and I'm sure you probably either come across this a lot or, you know, you're living it. So Rand obviously is a super well-known dude. Uh, I think I first started following him. I don't know. I think it was through the, the whiteboard sessions that he used to do at Moz back in the day, but Moz being, you know, a big SEO tool, like how are you thinking about SEO at SparkToro? Like, are you thinking about SEO or are you like, it just, it's changed since, you know, I was doing that years um, ago, but I'm curious. It's a good question, but we're not really thinking about SEO. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, I guess why. caveat is our website is set up correctly. Like, you know, we are mindful about making sure, I don't know, the things have the proper metadata, whatever they're supposed to have. <laughs> um, so it's set up correctly. And, 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 right. And we do that too, but like, we're not maniacal about the SEO bomb. Exa that no, exactly. Right. We're us. not like, oh, this has to go here because of the link, whatever trees of, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't, I barely know SEO. <laughs> um, no, but we think about it more as like, well, one, we don't think people are really searching for the offering that we provide. Like we say, we say things like audience research, 
other people can say audience intelligence. I don't know. Doesn't in a way doesn't really matter, at least not yet. But but like there isn't really an agreed upon term for what we do, right? I also said sources of influence, other things that we do. Uh, I mean, I mean, I basically call our content modern content marketing because it's not really founded on any kind of SEO strategy, but it's more so based on what we know and think people in our industry are thinking about, right? And that's kind of just based on like conversations in the field, conversations like you and I are having. Um, some of it's based based on SparkToro insights, like, right, if you do a SparkToro search for my audience, uses these words in their profile, marketing director, then you can get a sense of what marketing directors are talking about. And from there, you can see the text insights, like what are some of the topics they're talking about online? And so you might see things like marketing strategy, email marketing, which is like great, but it's also like, how helpful is that? Like it's, I think it's helpful from the perspective of, okay, marketing directors are thinking about email right now. Okay, well, can I say that's helpful to that? It doesn't give you the context of, are they searching for what is an email campaign? I mean, I doubt it. I don't think anyone's searching for that right now. <laughs> I hope, I, I hope, I hope not. not. But... A marketing director, like, what is email? <laughs> like, yeah. Is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I kind of like went roundabout there. But like, we're not really thinking about SEO because we don't think there is a high volume search term for the offerings that we provide. Um, and so therefore, like, we don't think there's really a new niche to dominate. So instead we just talk about things related to marketing, startups, tech that we think are interesting and valuable. So we take the same approach at Metadata 2 and we're playing with some things right now that I would say are more traditional SEO content. But I think when people say SEO content, or at least me in my past life, they kind of just are assuming it's going to be some vanilla keyword-based content that really does not help at all. So what we are trying to do is, perfect example, ABM, ABM platforms. We believe account-based marketing is a thing that you can do. It's not necessarily something that you can buy. We're trying to teach the rest of the market that. But there are some pieces of content that we are putting out you know, in the next couple of weeks that target ABM platforms. But what we're trying to show is, hey, this is what you were searching for. Not literally, but like this is what you came here for. What you actually need is, is this, and here's why. So we're kind of playing to what people are searching for, but not in the same, you know, vanilla, this phrase has to be in the, the title, the H1, every single H2, the H3s. Like it just, I don't know. It's so formulaic and it's right. not how yeah. people I mean, buy like, anymore. I can, I can still see account-based account marketing as being something that people are searching for from the perspective of what is this? Like, sure. But then from there, mm -hmm. I think people are probably going like, oh, okay, I know what that is. It's marketing to certain accounts based on whatever criteria I've decided. Cool, got it. So now I need some resources for how do I think about targeting enterprise accounts in, in my space of direct-to-consumer, whatever it is, right? Like, Yep. That was probably one of the better account-based marketing oh. definitions that I've ever heard, to be totally honest, because we ran a campaign. It was, it was, we basically bashed ABM platforms last year. And we said, if you asked a hundred different marketers, you'd probably get a hundred different definitions of what account-based marketing is. I think uh, so too. And I think yeah. So and I, I still think it's something that like, I don't know. It's, I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, the there's, there isn't really a standardized job role of 
account-based marketing director, right? I mean, I'm sure it exists in some companies, but in general, like it's not, it's, it's probably seen as more of a, a specific kind of discipline that falls under the umbrella of like demand generation or, you know, or whatever, or performance marketing, however people name their teams. For sure. So let's get into some tactical stuff. And for people who are looking to make the jump into you know zero click content, but don't know how to get started, is there a framework or like kind of a, a thought process that you can share for people who are trying to you know start doing this on LinkedIn or yeah. whatever the channel so, may be? Let's see. We talked a little bit about giving away the punchline. If you if you have a piece of content that has a punchline, um, giving away items in a list. If you're creating some kind of listicle type of type of content. Um, you can also think about summarizing the content that you're promoting. So, I mean, you can write and rewrite something any number of ways. So maybe it's even just doing that. So one way of doing that is like you write your, you know, 2000 word Substack post or whatever that is. And then how can you summarize that in 200 words? Right. And I know that could be infuriating to someone who's creating a lot of content who's like, but I just spent like 20 hours writing this blog post. I have to write a second one. And my answer to that is going to be, yes, I'm sorry, you do. You have to write a 200, 200 word version that you can then post on LinkedIn or turn into a Twitter thread. And if the idea of the content is really that good, which I believe in you, it is, then people will want to click to learn more. Like, Things need, like ideas need to sit or ideas need to be given to someone multiple times in order for it to stick, right? And we as marketers know that, don't we? Isn't that why we, we do marketing? Because you know that the job is never done. You got to just keep saying your message in a number of ways that resonate. Your content is really no different, right? Like if you come up with a, a, a great blog post on account-based marketing and how to do it for, you know, uh, accounts of a certain size, Surely you can say that post in a, or that message in a couple of different ways that kind of ultimately point to the same kind of ethos. So I would say write and rewrite and constantly rewrite your posts and 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 trust that people will um, click to learn more after they've gotten gotten that taste of like, oh, I get what Mark is saying. Like I understand this thought, but now I want more. As frustrating as summarizing a 2000 word post into, you know, <laughs> a short description is, if you can't do that, then you really don't have a good perspective on why somebody should go spend, you know, 10, 15 right. minutes. Yeah. And, or like, if you feel like, oh, I can only do it once, or like, there's only this one idea, then it might be worth taking a closer look at like, maybe that wasn't that good of a post. Like maybe you need to go back to the drawing board. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, I mean, like it's taken me a lot of practice and it's a moving target. But for me, I find that whenever you have to go through that exercise and really think through what do I need to say in as few words as possible, it's hard as hell. It is not easy. It's still not easy for me, but it makes you think, okay, how, how can I get the point across as quickly as possible with as few words as yeah. I need to? Alrighty. So last question, uh, for now, uh, I would say, you know, for people who are starting to do this, you've given away some of the things that you can do, uh, to get started. 
was there anything that maybe you uh, learned, you know, as you were starting to test this out that that taints like anything that, you know, you got burned by or can share so people can Let's avoid see, doing that themselves? Got burned by. Hmm. That's a fun question because I haven't thought about this in a minute. Uh, yeah. And I say this only because we're very self-deprecating on, uh, of ourselves and on the man gen you, like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns here. Like there are times where we think through things and whatever we think is a best idea actually tanks. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to share yeah. what works I mean, and more importantly, you know, what I think work. I would just say like, if you, if you were, if you can, if you're open to it, um, try to like keep it, keep experimenting, keep seeing what, keep publishing and if you're, I guess what I was trying to say was if yep. you're open to it, like, like use the feedback that you get on social or lack thereof as an indicator of interest or not, because not everything we say is a home run, right? And myself included, like I've written a couple of Twitter threads, for instance, on uh, Twitter threads and newsletter editions on copywriting. Like here are some copywriting best practices that I follow or that I've sort of created as guardrails for myself. Or like, you know, uh, here are some effective copywriting tips for landing pages. And this content didn't seem to resonate with people. Like in my newsletter, no one replied to say anything like, hey, this is helpful. Or like, I have a question on this. Um, the Twitter thread version didn't really take off. And you know what? It is what it is. And like, I'm calling it out in that it's like, well, sometimes it, it happens. What can you do? Um, what you can do, I think, is take another look, see if you have a friend who can, who's willing to give you some honest feedback on it and why maybe it didn't resonate well. Um, so it could be that, or it could be like, maybe, maybe you created content for the wrong audience and they didn't, they, the right audience didn't see your stuff. Right. So maybe for me, I think one lesson that I took from it was, okay, well, these copywriting best practices that I've written about, they, they helped me. Right. So like, that's fine. But maybe the people who follow me or who, or who, who subscribe to my content, they're, they're not looking for that stuff. Like maybe they don't care about copywriting tips. Maybe they're like, I already know how to do this. You tell me about more zero click stuff because I know how to write copy really well. Like it, it could be an issue of that, right? It could be an issue of like, they just felt, I think, I think people felt too advanced for that content. I love that because we're big on experimentation and testing things out, you know, making small bats, seeing what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and especially for people who are starting to get more active on LinkedIn and posting stuff and trying zero click yeah. content, like that's the best way to go at it. I love it. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to give you one more compliment. Your Twitter bios and your uh, LinkedIn title i pay attention to those you're constantly changing them they're funny as hell i hope you get good feedback on that but here's thank you i really appreciate that I, I do have fun goofing around with that at, at the time of publication <laughs> my current linkedin headline is potty train my toddler in six days and i'm pretty proud of it that's gonna stay up for a little while <laughs> uh it should that's pretty impressive so amanda this is amazing i feel like i learned a lot and uh i'm pretty excited uh, not just for this episode, but also to have you at demand. And I know people are going to be pretty excited yeah, too. Thank you for, so thank you for so coming on. Fun. We appreciate it. All right. Mission accomplished. Thanks for everyone for listening. And we'll see you next week on demand. Genu. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.